What were the main opportunities and challenges facing the UK in the 1970s, joining the European Economic Community? The UK's position as a world power began to change after the end of the Second World War. Independence was given to more and more countries in the British Empire, starting with India in 1947, then spreading to Africa in the 1950s and the 1960s. The Commonwealth, in other words countries who were or had been members of the British Empire, was supposed to provide cheap raw materials for the UK and guaranteed markets for UK exports. After the Second World War, it seemed less and less important to the UK. Early attempts at post-war European cooperation Between 1945 and 1949, there were a number of conferences involving European countries leading to the setting up of the Council of Europe in Strasbourg in 1949 as a symbol of the now-resolved old conflict between France and Germany. Ten countries were represented and the Council advised on economics, education and human rights. In 1948, the Organisation for European Economic Cooperation was set up to decide how to spend martial aid, that is, money that the Americans had given for the rebuilding of economies around the world. Most Western European nations were represented and it continued to be a significant organisation for discussing important economic issues. In 1950, the European coal and steel community was set up by France, West Germany, Italy, Belgium, Luxembourg and the Netherlands. The UK was invited to join but turned it down. It developed the coal and steel industries across all member countries and led to a 42% increase in steel production in its first five years. Winston Churchill had talked about the need for a United States of Europe in 1946 and yet in 1951 when the UK did not join the European coal and steel community he said we are with Europe but not a part of it. Labour Prime Minister Clement Attlee had already said that the UK had other interests outside Europe, the Commonwealth and the USA. For European politicians, this position was very difficult to understand. The European Economic Community, also known as the Common Market, was created by the Treaty of Rome in March 1957. France, West Germany, Italy and the Benelux countries agreed to have common social policies like equality legislation, free movement of people and money within the EEC. They would also remove national trade barriers and taxes on goods traded between EEC members, hence no import taxes between countries. The UK was initially hostile to the idea of the EEC. The UK's hostility persuaded French President de Gaulle that the UK should never be allowed to join. The Treaty of Rome was good for the French economy and his desire to improve relations with Germany. He believed that the UK would cause problems with its imports from the Commonwealth and its relations with the USA. The UK set up a rival organisation to the EEC, 
known as the European Free Trade Association, the EFTA, in July 1960. Its members were the UK, Denmark, Norway, Sweden, Austria, Switzerland and Portugal. EFTA gave its members advantages in trading with each other by reducing customs duties. There were no common economic policies. EFTA did not seem to bring any obvious economic benefit to the UK. The EEC was much larger, with 200 million citizens who were neighbours, while EFTA had 90 million citizens who were more geographically scattered. The UK government quickly changed its mind about joining the EEC because of a number of reasons. Firstly, the immediate success of the EEC. Secondly, the weakening of Commonwealth links as more and more countries became independent and traded less with the UK. Thirdly, Withdrawal from the empire and reduced military commitments around the world meant that the UK was less able to help the USA in its conflicts. Fourthly, the 1956 Suez Crisis, in which the UK and France's attempt to take over the Suez Canal in Egypt failed, showed that the UK could no longer rely on support from the Americans. Fifthly, US President Kennedy told Harold Macmillan in 1961 that he wanted the UK in the EEC to balance out the influence of France and the growing economy of West Germany. And finally, the EEC was making closer and closer links between its members. The longer the UK stayed out, the more difficult it would be to join later. The UK finally applied to join the EEC in July 1961. Edward Heath was the government minister in charge of negotiations. One of the issues was the continuation of low-priced goods being imported into the UK, like New Zealand lamb. The Conservatives were prepared to accept the EEC tax system, but Labour worried about the loss of UK independence and abandoning the Commonwealth. Negotiations were ended in January 1963 by French President de Gaulle, who vetoed or said no to UK membership. He explained that the UK was too heavily influenced by the USA. He was worried that the UK would give the USA more influence over the EEC, as well as threatening French leadership of the common market. The other five member states were very keen for the UK to join, but the decision had to be unanimous or agreed by everyone, and so de Gaulle's veto was enough for Britain not to gain entrance. Labour realised that the Commonwealth had become much less important to the UK in the 60s, and so had the USA. The UK's economic position in the world was increasingly weak, as its gold reserves were running low. The EEC was a potential market of 250 million people that the UK could trade with if it was a member of the common market, and so a second application to join was made in August 1967. However, President de Gaulle opposed UK membership again, 
because he believed that the UK's economic weakness would damage the economies of the other EEC countries. De Gaulle resigned in 1969. The new UK Prime Minister Edward Heath got on well with the new French President Georges Pompidou. In the 50s, the UK would have been negotiating from a position of strength, but by the early 70s, France and West Germany no longer feared UK economic dominance. The UK government set about convincing people in Britain that UK membership was the right thing to do. The standard of living of people living inside the EEC was three times that of the UK, which is why the government campaign to gain support for membership of the EEC focused on the prospect of cheaper holidays as well as cheaper beer and wine. There were other benefits too. People from the UK could work freely in any other EEC country. The campaign played down fears about the loss of national identity, showing that the original six members had kept their unique identities after more than a decade of membership. Both Labour and the Conservatives were split on whether or not membership of the EEC was a good idea. The UK gained entry into the EEC by the 1972 Treaty of Accession, which started on the 1st of January 1973. The Republic of Ireland and Denmark would also join after both countries had referendums or public votes to confirm support for their entry. The UK agreed to accept the Common Agricultural Policy, one of the main policies that the EEC followed, within six years. Commonwealth countries would be cushioned against the effects of EEC taxes. As the UK was classed as an advanced industrial country, it had to pay out more than it received. The Conservative government agreed to conditions that would cost the UK a lot of money. The UK's contributions to the EEC budget would increase over five years until it was paying 21.5% of the total EEC budget, more than France and second only to West Germany. In 1974, the new Labour government renegotiated the terms of the UK's entry into the EEC as prices had risen sharply because of an international oil crisis. The UK could not afford to meet the current cost as prices were rising by 27% and the government was borrowing £11 billion a year. The EEC offered the UK a rebate, paying money back to the UK from the EEC budget to make up for money that was lost due to poor economic circumstances. Once the Labour government was satisfied with the new EEC deal, it held a referendum about membership, just like Scotland um, and um, the Republic of Ireland had done, in June 1975. The electorate, or people who were allowed to vote, were asked to vote either yes or no to the question, do you think the UK should stay in the European community or common market? 
It was unusual because it was the first time there had been a referendum in the UK. Within the Labour Party, by letting the public decide, some Labour MPs supported membership of the EEC and some did not. The result of the referendum showed that two-thirds of voters supported UK membership. The Yes campaign had been supported by most Conservatives and Liberal MPs, as well as some from Labour. It had ten times the funding of the No campaign. The Yeses campaign's emphasis on better jobs and lower prices won more people over than the No campaign's concerns about EEC laws becoming more important than UK ones. So what was the impact of EEC membership on the UK? Firstly, trade with the EEC increased after the UK joined. Secondly, taxes increased. For example, VAT or value-added tax, a tax on goods when they are sold, had to be introduced as a condition of entry and added to British goods to help pay for the UK's membership of the EEC. This forced prices up even further for British customers. The UK currency was changed to decimalisation. This made membership of the EEC more straightforward, as other European countries used decimal currencies, in other words, currencies based on multiples of 10. Decimal currency began to be used from what was known as D-Day, Decimal Day, on the 15th of February 1971. Another effect of membership on the UK was that laws had to be introduced to harmonise UK laws with the laws of the other members of the EEC. For example, the 1970 Equal Pay Act and the 1975 Sex Discrimination Act, giving legal equality to women in the UK. Both of these laws had to be passed to meet the entrance requirements of the EEC. Another consequence for Britain of membership was that food prices increased because of the common agricultural policy. This policy guaranteed high prices for food products and benefited farmers but not customers. The final effect on the UK of membership was that the UK had more influence over economic policies. Direct European elections for the European Parliament were first held in 1979 and every five years after that. They were intended to increase ordinary people's interest, although in reality less than a third of the British electorate voted in these elections.